Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the IBC podcast, we have Reverend Darren Sargent. Reverend Sargent is a pastor from Escondido, California, who joins us in chapel here in Indianapolis, but he's also the father of IBC senior Ashton. Many of our listeners may recall a few years ago where he and the then campus pastor, now executive vice president, Reverend Jason Gallion, sat down for an interview on the podcast. And if you've not listened to that episode in a while or to the sermon he preached a few years ago, it's worth dusting off and re-listening to. I know that you will enjoy specifically the camaraderie that happens in that interview. Another thing that will be worth doing and will be worth reinvestigating is indianabiblecollege.org forward slash apply. But only investigate that if you are interested in joining a student body that is committed to changing their world, committed to each other, and committed to the kingdom of God. The application deadline for spring 21 is November 13th, so act fast. The spring 21 semester will be here before we know it, and you don't want to miss the potential of being a part of what God is doing with students from all over the world. It would be a shame if you left that potential unused. Right now, enjoy Reverend Darren Sargent preaching in IBC Chapel, The Danger of Untapped Potential. San Diego, California. We give God some praise in this house just because he's worthy. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord on a Thursday morning? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Gallion. I know you're standing, but I'll be standing for the next hour and a half. So, Some of y'all just got real happy because you're thinking, oh, good, I don't have to go to that class because you didn't get your assignment done, did you? I used to use the excuse in high school, say, come on, teacher, I'm a little shorthanded. It only worked a couple of times, but uh, such an honor to be here today, and uh, I sense the presence of the Lord very, very strongly. I woke early this morning thinking I was going to go in a different direction, and God just began to really deal with me in the hotel room, and I feel like uh, I'm here for a reason today, and I'm just going to see what God wants to do. I give honor to this wonderful Bible college who has been a blessing to our family. It's Our lives are kind of crazy, so my wife and I seem to come in shifts. And uh, it's been just an insane time. We live in communist California where everything is banned, and uh, so it's been a very unique season. I give honor to the staff, uh, teachers, uh, student body. Brother Drew Maines, I love you. appreciate you very much. Amen. Brother Henderson, Brother Sleever, Brother Kilman. You guys are top-notch in my books. Please be kind to me today. Don't judge my preaching. Amen. To one of my dear friends who the more I spend time with him and his wife and family, the more I love them, and that is Brother and Sister Gallion. You are blessed to have the leaders that you have in Brother and Sister Gallion. Amen. 
we've had the privilege of ministering together in a camp or two. And uh, Sister Galleon saved my voice. Uh, one one night, I was been preaching three or four nights. My voice was gone. She made me drink some witchery concoction. It, it had to be something from the occult because it burned. I think my tonsils still feel it. But my voice came back. Marm didn't grow, but my voice came back. So we got one thing going for you. <laughs> If you have your Bible this morning, want to direct your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 4, man, verse number 1, then we're going to be going to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Timothy chapter 4, again, thank you for the honor. I was hoping to kind of pop in and just be here, spend a little time, enjoy the services. So much enjoyed chapel on Tuesday, what I felt. And man, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 says this, I charge thee therefore before God. The Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Second Kings 13, beginning to verse 14, familiar story. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, wept over his face, and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. Elisha put his hand upon the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. The bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. With the help of the Lord, and I'll try not to go the full hour and a half, but I want to preach to you this Thursday morning of IBC Chapel. I want to preach to you the tragedy of untapped potential. The tragedy of untapped potential potential. Could you clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise one more time? Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you. If, you. if you know me at all, you know that I am a firm believer that every single
single one of us that are here today, all of us that were born, we were born with incredible potential from the moment that we were brought into this world. I have been fortunate to be given a gift in the way that I was born. Many have looked at it as a disability or a disadvantage, but I truly see it as a gift and by far one of the greatest advantages of my life. I ask your forgiveness for the personal reference that I'm starting with this morning, but I do believe that it will bleed into what I'm trying to articulate over the course of our time together here today. Over the last 25, 30 plus years of my life, I have had the privilege of speaking to some of you that are even sitting here today about the potential that I am convinced the Bible reveals all of us were born with. In fact, in each camp or conference that I am privileged to preach in, I always begin with a message that I have titled, Nobody is Born Average. I've shared some of that in times past when I've preached in camps here across Indiana and different places. But all of us, if we are not careful, can buy into the lie that we are nothing but average. And we don't have a whole lot to offer in this life. Whether that stems from the way that you were raised, the failures that you've committed, the lies that you have been told, or the place that you may find yourself in right now, I I want to make it very clear. The Bible does have an answer to living a life that makes a difference in your world. The Bible does have an answer to living a life that has meaning, promise, and potential. The Apostle Paul revealed his divine purpose of existence when he wrote to Timothy and told him that, Timothy, I've poured my life out. I've left nothing on the table. He gave everything he had to life and living for God and working in the kingdom of God. Paul was revealing a principle about the concept of life. You don't go through life haphazardly. You don't go through life just bebopping through it. You pour it out. You give it your all. You never settle for the status quo. So I ask all of us that are sitting under the sound of my voice today, can that be said about you and about me? Are we truly giving everything to life, to the kingdom, to God, to our families, to our churches? Paul said, I laid it all out. You're looking at a guy right here today, I refuse, as Paul probably would say. I refuse to get to the end of my life and have regrets. Hello? I I do not believe anyone is born average, but I do believe that many of us choose to live a life of mediocrity. I think there are more of us than not who are in the danger of disappearing into the abyss of the ordinary. And the great tragedy in that statement right there is that there is nothing really ordinary about us. Look at you. You're unlike anybody else. Look at what you can do. It's unlike anything that anybody else can do. We may not be convinced of this and we may struggle, but our souls deep down, I believe, know that it's true, which is why I think at times in life we find ourselves tormented when we choose to 
live beneath our capacity and our callings. Uh, again, I apologize for the personal reference, uh, but it speaks to what I want to get across uh, into your heart on this Thursday morning. I've heard more times than I care to count, and I can only count the five unless I take my shoes off, then I can get to 15. But I have heard more times than I can count, amen, that I couldn't do something or there wasn't a way that it would ever work because of the way that I was born. It could have destroyed me. It could have set me back. But, honey, it lit a fire under me that I hope will never, ever go out. There are, there are basically two ways that you can deal with this indictment that you're nothing but average. One way is when you hear this statement, it's a statement of essence, if you will, of who you are as a result of how you were born, that you're cut from an average cloth, that your daddy was average, your mama was average, your family is average. The second is is a little bit different, but it's very much as powerful. The statement can be about your character. This nothing, you're nothing but average, could be about your character, that you have chosen a path of least resistance, uh, that you have not aspired to the greatness uh, that is within your grasp, uh, that you have refused to move toward the promise potential that your creator placed inside of you. Here is the painful reality. We will find ourselves defined by the average if we choose not to defy the odds. I'm going to preach a little bit here today. Y'all ready? If I step on your toes, take your shoes off. I know they're nice. I don't want to mess them up. Odds are that you and I will fall at the average. That's why it's called average. It's where most of us live. To be above average demands a choice, and it demands a cost. It requires that you defy the odds. You have no control over whether you have been endowed with above average talents or intelligence or physical attributes. What you can control, however, is whether you choose to live your life defined and determined determined by the status quo. Even when the law of averages may be working against you, you can still defy the odds. You've got to raise the bar in your life. You've got to raise the bar of your standards of faith. You've got to raise the bar of your standards of sacrifice, of your expectations of yourself, of your belief of the goodness and the generosity of God. Quit looking at God like he's some ogre up in heaven about ready to knock you into next week. Look at him as a father. Look at him as a creator. Look at him as someone who has a plan and a purpose for your life. We can refuse to be average. We must refuse to be average. We must war against the temptation to settle for less. Average is always a safe choice, and it's the most dangerous choice we can make. Average protects us from the risk of failure, but it also separates us from futures of greatness. I cannot stress what I'm about ready to say any stronger, but listen to me, student of IBC, very carefully. Never underestimate how much God intends for your life. 
should never underestimate how much God wants to do in your life. Never underestimate what he wants to do in you, through you, and around you. Never underestimate the calling. Never underestimate the anointing. Never underestimate the power of God that is on your life. found a way around failure, so I can't teach you how not to fail. But I can help you to the place where you may never quit. Even here, I think I probably need to clarify, you may be doing things today that you needed to quit yesterday. Hello? There may not be anything worse than winning the battle you never should have fought in the first place. I am convinced, though, that every human being has a unique calling on his or her life, that each of us was created with intention and purpose. And I'm equally certain that most of us underestimate how much God actually wants to do in us and through us. I tried to get away from this message, to be honest with you, and I'm not sure where it's going to end up. I just have one of those feelings in my spirit. It's called a spunky spirit. God's fixing to thunder in this house because some of us have bought into the we bought into lies that have that have kept us from living to the place that God is calling us. Well, I'm still in Bible school. It doesn't matter if you're in Bible school or in kindergarten. Amen. What matters is this belief that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Come on, can I preach to somebody? Don't underestimate how much God wants to do in you. If you will embrace this, you will journey to the end of your life and you'll not have a single regret when it's all said and done. I'll be very transparent. You're going to get a little insight into this one-arm, extremely handsome, but one-arm guy. That last part was a joke, but please don't laugh. Make me feel good and say, that's right, preacher. You got it going on. Amen. I, I, have, this, I have this insight and this frustration at times. One of the things that frustrates me more than anything else in pastoring and in leading is simply seeing people that have so much potential and so much promise but live their lives with no purpose or with no passion. It drives me nuts. I just want to go up to them and shake them and say, my God, don't you know who you are? Hello. Here's a passage of Scripture that we read, 2 Kings 13, that has captivated my attention for a whole lot of years. I'm finally to where I need to be here today. It's the story of the prophet Elisha and King Joash. It's an obscure moment. It could easily be missed, yet it is both poetic, powerful, and profound. It is also, I am convinced, in, it's convinced to be a window into how God works in the world and how we either open ourselves to his bigger future or we ensure that we make the future smaller than he intends for us to make it. In this story, Joash is the king of Israel when the kingdoms of Israel and Judah are divided and at war against one another. His kingdom is being threatened by the armies of Amaziah, king of Judah. But one great advantage that Joash has is that he has the prophet Elisha is in his corner. But now Elisha is suffering from an illness that will lead to his death. Joash goes and weeps over him, less because of his sorrow for the loss of the prophet 
probably more because of his fear of the loss of Elisha's protection and guidance. Joash calls out to Elisha, who has been a symbol and source of God's strength and God's power. But now is clearly at the end of his life. Elisha then gives him a somewhat unusual series of instruction. Elisha says, get a bow and some arrows. Now, I would really like to demonstrate how to shoot a bow and an arrow. The bow goes farther than the arrow. Some of you are not going to get it. That's all right. But he says, get a bow and some arrows, and he does so. Then he tells them, take the bow in your hands. And when Elisha commands Joash to do this, the king immediately complies. And when the king raises the bow and arrow, the Bible tells us that Elisha puts his hands on the king's hands, and together they shoot the arrow. Can I stop here? You better make sure you allow the man of God in your life to put his hands on your hands if you want victory in your life. He says, open the east window, and he and the king opens it, and he says, shoot the arrow, and Joash shoots the arrow, and Elisha proclaims at the time that it is shot, he says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the Lord of arrow, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declares, you will now completely destroy the Armenians at, at Aphek, and then he says, take the arrows. This is interesting to me. Let's leave it. He says, take the arrows. And then he says, I want you to take the arrows, and I want you to begin to strike the ground. And he does so. He strikes the ground thrice. And then he stops. Then the Scripture tells us something that's quite unexpected. The man of God got very angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Right after this, the Bible tells us Elisha died and was buried. Much of what happens here, hear me for just a few moments. Much of what happens here doesn't make any sense to our modern minds. How could the king's future be so affected by whether he struck an arrow three times, five times, or six times? Why didn't Elisha explained to him before the command was given what was required uh, before he held them to its consequences. Uh, how could the king uh, have known that six was the number or five was the number and that three would leave him in a place uh, of only limited victory? Uh, um, to that point, he had done everything Elisha had instructed him. But when Elisha told him to strike the ground with the arrow, uh, the the prophet left the instruction open-ended. Isn't that odd? It's not insignificant that the text tells us the man of God was wroth with the king. Clearly, much more was happening here than meets the eye. This was no small mistake. The king began with the promise of a complete victory and afterward was the recipient of a whole lot less. And it all centers around one decision. He struck the ground three times and then stopped. Putting in another way, he quit. 
The Bible doesn't tell us why he quit. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he felt ridiculous. Uh, maybe he thought it was beneath him. Perhaps he sensed it was just an act of futility. But it's very clear for Elisha was the fact that the king stopped striking the arrow. And it was connected to his determination to receive the full measure of God's intention for him. He quit and the victory was lost. What are you saying, Pastor Sergeant? I'm simply saying the king just did didn't want victory bad enough. They could have put somebody else in charge. I wonder how many victories are lost before the battle has ever begun. I wonder how much more good God desires to usher into the world through you and I that has been thwarted by our own lack of ambition. I wonder how many times in my own life I thought I failed, but actually the only thing that happened was I just What is it about us that stops before we're finished, that mistakes quitting for failure, that settles for less? Uh, I see too much of myself in this, Brother Kilman. I can identify too many times uh, when I have prayed too little, I've expected too little, uh, and I've done too little. Uh, have we become uh, the kind of people who are always looking for the least that we can do, uh, trying to only do what is required of us? Uh, or are we the kind of person who has given up not only on life, but also on herself. When you come to the end of your life, will you be able to say, I gave everything that I had. I held nothing back. I did it all. Or will you walk through life with a hollow feeling inside of your soul that you quit too soon, that you expected too little, that you did not strike the arrow to the ground. I want to preach to somebody on a Thursday morning. I think many of us hear God say, take the arrow and shoot. I think too many of us hear God say, take the arrow and shoot. But much like the king, we never hear the command, stop striking the ground. We simply stop before we're finished. We stop maybe before God's finished. There is a posture toward life that separates those who end their lives with their quivers full of untapped potential and unseized opportunities and those who choose to die with their quivers empty. Hear me, arrows are not meant for decor. They are meant for battle. They're not meant just to look good. Your ministry is not to make you look good. And that ability to sing is not just to make you look good. It's to make you fit for battle. Can I preach to somebody on a Thursday morning? That ability to pray till heaven comes down is not for you to get your name in the Pentecostal magazine. It's to show hell. It's to reveal to heaven that you know what it means to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold. Hear me. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. 
the question that each of us must answer is this. Am I the kind of person who strikes three times and stops? Or am I the kind of person who, when commanded to strike my arrow, keeps striking and striking and striking and striking until there are no arrows left? It's curious that Elisha had the king shoot the first arrow through the window and then instructed him to shoot, amen, to grab the remaining arrows and strike the ground with them. We may never know the full implication of why he had him do it this way. Perhaps the arrow he shot through the, through the window was a symbol of how God would take the victory far beyond the hand of the king. That's the way an arrow would be expected to be used. But the odd command to me was to take the arrow and strike instead of shoot. focus was on what God had placed in the king's hand. This, by the way, is the paradox of how God works in our lives. We must shoot the arrow. And then we must strike the ground. We must shoot the arrow and recognize that there are things beyond and outside of our control. And we must strike the arrow and take responsibility for what is in our control. We are to shoot and we are to strike. But what we are not to do is stop. Most of us live our lives as if the arrows are too valuable to shoot. They look so nice inside the quiver. We may even take extra time each day to organize our arrows and make sure that they are in perfect condition. What I love about arrows, in contrast to ancient weapons, is that while you may use a sword, it never leaves your hand. But the arrow only has value if you release it and it travels where you have not gone yourself. The arrow extends your range of impact and only fulfills its purpose when it is set into flight. We are on support. We, we, are, we are not supposed to die with our quivers full. In fact, our greatest aspiration should be to die with our quivers empty. Those who never settle have the mindset that they're saving nothing for the next life. I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not coming back as a cockroach. I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not coming back as an ox or a deer or a giraffe. You got one life and one life only. My God, do something with it. My God, reach your world. My God. We can become so afraid of death that we never live. So afraid of failure that we never risk. So afraid of pain that we never discover how strong we really are. I wake up every single day of my life. I'm 51 years of age. I know I look 29, but I'm 51 years of age. And I wake up every day of my life with an overwhelming conviction that this life matters and that we each get one life and only one life to make a mark in history. And I am absolutely convinced that what we do 
do in this life matters. And that time is our most precious commodity. It's kind of frustrating when you think about it. If this life matters so much, it seems unfair that we don't get a warm-up life to prepare us for the real one. There are no trial runs. In that sense, life does not allot us do-overs. Once we have taken our last breaths, our story in history has been written. And although we have stories that may continue into eternity, it is imperative that we understand that these stories begin on a Thursday morning in a chapel service. We each have one life to live, but your life has eternal significance. And what you do and what I do with it, amen, will have infinite implications. And beyond that, our stories are bigger than history. Our stories don't end when we do. They are only the beginning of much greater stories, the content of which we are completely unaware. Stand with me and let me try to land this here this morning. Doesn't mean I'm done, but at least gives you a little bit of hope. You cannot, we must not allow fear to steal our futures. Every day you walk on this earth, you must make sure you say nothing for the next life. Some of you under the sound of my voice this morning are going to leave IBC and you're going to step into cities that have been locked down by the enemy. There'll be no apostolic presence there no spiritual foothold, and you're going to have moments when the enemy is going to camp on your doorstep. And every day that you step out of your house, he's going to say, you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. There is no way you're going to break the demonic strongholds of this city. You pick up your arrows and you go back to this Thursday morning and you shoot and you strike. You pick up the garment of praise and you worship. You preach. You pray. You prophesy. You praise. You permeate the atmosphere with an apostolic mandate that declares no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Hallelujah. I was praying in my hotel room this morning. I felt like the Lord wanted me to say this next part. Some of you are going to be going into nations that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to take up that arrow and that bow. And you're going to have to shoot. And you're going to have to strike. Live the rest of your life shooting. Live the rest of your life striking. Don't stop. Don't give up. You'll face hell and high water. But God is in you. And if God before you, who can be against you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Musicians could come. I, I gotta I gotta end this out. Hear me. My wife and I, in the year 2001, I believe 2001, 2002, took the church in Van Nuys, California. Van Nuys, California, it's near Burbank, not far from Hollywood. It's vile. In fact, Van Nuys is considered to be, Brother Henderson, the pornographic capital capital of the world. It's where all the studios for pornography, they're, they're, they're down, up and down the streets. Ashton was just a child when we took this church. Twenty people 
voted as him. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Man, Brother Kelvin got a church. Let's see revival. Literally, we are in the ghetto. If the termites would have let go holding hands in that building, it would have fell down. I hope there wasn't any one-armed termites. My wife and I got there, and it was locked up tighter than an Advil bottle trying to get to a pain med. <laughs> it was childproofed. It was so tight. I'd get in there and preach my guts out. I'd holler and spit and scream. Right across the street from the courthouse and the jail of San Fernando Valley, the main ones where they booked O.J. Simpson and Robert Blake and high-profile shootings across the street. I mean, I was in my office one day, some guys and his some guy and his lawyer. The guy didn't like what his lawyer did, so he just started shooting him. I'm sitting in my office. Dear Lord, have mercy. Am I a foreign country? Locked up tight. I'll never forget one prayer meeting my wife and I were having. The kids were probably under the pews someplace. Sister Abigail. I told my wife as I came out of the altar area time of prayer. I said, okay, tomorrow's Sunday. It's going to be tight in here because that's the way it is. You get that aisle over there, and I'll get this aisle over there. And if nobody else does anything, Brother Stephen, we're going to worship. You shout from that corner, I'll shout from this corner. And we begin to magnify, and we begin to shoot, and we begin to strike. We begin to shoot. Can we begin to strike? Come on, can I tell somebody? I decided in times when pressure is in my life that I'm going to be a worshiper. I've decided when pressure is all around me and difficult times come, I'm not going to sit there like a knot on a deal pickle. Can I just say something? I'm going to pastor a little bit here. This is my job, and Brother Gallion can straighten it out. Don't get up here and expect everybody to worship when you can't worship sitting out there. Let me tell you, let me tell you how you fight your battles. Let me tell you how you win your fight. Let me tell you how you overcome depression. Let me tell you, you get out in that aisle and you take the arrow and you strike and you shoot and you strike and you shoot. Amen. When trouble comes, you dance. When trials come, you shout. When things are up against you, you lift up holy hands and you say, my God, my God, my God, my God, you're going to do a work greater, greater, greater. Some of you that are under it right now ought to lift up a shout. Some of you that are struggling right now ought to lift up a shout. Some of you that are depressed ought to lift up a shout, a shout, a shout. Shoot and strike. Come on, Paul and Silas. I know you're in the midnight hour, but let me tell you what's going to lose you. It's going to be a shout. This is how we fight our battle. This is how we overcome. You dance. You shout. You leap. You run. 
got any worshipers that are ready to take your world. This is how you do it. This is how you fight your battles. This is how you overcome. You dance. You shout. You leap. You run. You strike. And you shoot. Come on, young man. I know it's been a tough season, but it's not time to quit. Come on, young lady. I know it's been a tough season, but it's not time to quit. Strike and shoot. Strike and shoot. Get those hands up. Get that worship up. Get that praise up. giving up. I'm going to keep on praising. For 440 years, the children of Israel had been squashed and pushed down by Egypt. They tried to get in the promised land and 10 of the 12 spies said it wasn't available to them. But when that day came, Jordan, when that day came, and they stood before Jericho, and God told them, keep your mouth shut. The previous generation walked in circles with their mouth open, griping and complaining. You keep it shut till I tell you to open it. They broke the curse of the previous generation by doing what God said. And on the seventh day, when that shout came out of them, it had been laying dormant in them for 440 years. But when it came out, it came out with power. It came out with authority. It came out with anointing and unction. Somebody lift your voice right now and shout. If there's a wall, shout. If there's a problem, shout. If there's loneliness, shout. If you're struggling, shout, 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 shout. This is how. You're going to get through it. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it because you know how to worship. You know how to strike. And you know how to shoot. This is how you're going to be okay because you've got the power. You've got the ability. Keep on shooting. Keep on striking. This is how you strike. This is how you shoot. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
wish somebody that's been underneath the pressure would let out a Holy Ghost down. Let out a Holy Ghost down.
some of you get around somebody right now. I know we got to be careful. I get all that, but I feel the Holy Ghost. Pray with someone who needs encouraging. Pray with some of you young ladies. Stretch your hands towards Sister Gallia and begin to pray fresh strength. Come on. Some of you young men, find where Brother Gallia is. Pray for him. Pray strength. Pray strength. Pray strength. Shoot. Shoot. 